This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like me and my wife, the, the beloved sports gal, you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear, especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA. I make calls. I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it. You can work out in it. You can go outside. You can go shopping down in your local wherever. And you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viore.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I.com slash Simmons. Welcome to the 16th episode of Baseball Barbecue. I'm Jake Mintz. That's Jordan Schusterman. This is the only podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network that is going to call in to the Padres team store and request a Fernando Tatis Jr. jersey live on the air later in the episode. Jordan, how are you doing? You can't get that anywhere else. Uh, you can't. So thank, thank you for tuning in. Sorry, uh, sorry, CC. Yeah, sorry to, to R2C2, who I assume will not be. Uh, maybe Ryan Rucco really wants the Tatis Jr. jersey. But um, anyway, uh, very excited about this episode. We have two special guests, not just the Pod- whatever Padres team store employee picks up the phone. Um, we, we are going to talk to Shane Bieber uh, of the Cleveland baseball team, who has been the best pitcher in the league, which is really dope. So it was really cool to talk to him. Uh, told some great stories about being All-Star Game MVP last year. Uh, and just about being Shane Bieber. Uh, we also talked to Melanie Newman, uh, Orioles radio broadcaster, about being the fourth active female broadcaster in Major League Baseball and the first in Orioles history. Melanie was delightful. That was a fun conversation. Excited for you guys to hear that. Um, we're going to talk about a bunch of baseball stuff because this is a baseball podcast. So let's begin, Jake Mintz, speaking of Fernando Tatis Jr., mm. with just... That's it. That's the, the sound. That's it. That's mm. it. That's the podcast, uh, as they say. Uh, let's talk about let's talk about Fernando Tatis Jr. for a little bit, uh, because there is he he's back. He's healthy. He's playing on a Padres team that is playing quite quite well, uh, all things considered. I know the record doesn't look that great, but they've been in all these games. They're currently uh, in a series with their rival Los Angeles Dodgers, and the game on Wednesday ended in dramatic fashion with Trent Grisham being thrown out at home plate. But you wanted to start this show with Fernando Tatis Jr. Because why? Because he's it. This is it. This is what it looks like. If we're talking about baseball players that have the ability to cross over into the larger sphere of pop culture and get people to give a crap about this game that we love, Fernando Tatis Jr. is everything you ask for. Full stop. I would watch him do anything. Right? It's that simple. On a baseball field or not, 
You know, when he walks to first on a walk, it's entertaining. When he's in the dugout just sitting there, it's entertaining. When he's hitting 430-foot missiles to the upper deck as he did yesterday, it is entertaining. And I just I just want to tell all my friends about it. You know, like when you start a relationship and it's going great and you just want to tell all your friends about the person that you've just started the relationship with? Be like, oh, this person is great. Like, there are all these great things about them. They make me so happy. That's how I feel about Fernando Tatis Jr. right now. You just want to share him with his. You just want to say, please. I just want look, everyone to look, know about look, it. They'll be like, look, 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 look at this guy. Uh, totally agree. Um, the amazing. There are so many just miraculous, ridiculous things about Fernando Tatis Jr. Obviously, the skill set alone is one of a kind because not just he's really good at everything. He's amazingly fast. He can hit the ball really far. He can play shortstop. He's gigantic. He is. He is so large, and to be able to move as as fluidly and as quickly as he can and also have that power. Like he just, his shape is unlike really any other player uh, in baseball. Um, and then you consider. Well, I, I want to, I want to talk about shape because like, if you compare him physically, the one guy who you would compare him to would be Correa just as far as a tall shortstop. And Correa is not unathletic and he's not slow. Right. But Tatis is in just a completely different league as far as jumping ability general, you know, athleticism and, you know, foot speed where it, it's not even close. Exactly. And and that is a fascinating comparison too, because, because right, you know, when we have the big shortstops now, we always be like, oh, Correa. And you don't have to look any farther than the guy standing right next to him. Manny Machado is closer to Carlos Correa, where Manny Machado is an amazing athlete. Manny Machado is very large and he can play a great infield, but he's obviously not fast, even when he is hustling. And <laughs> Carlos Correa is, is an amazing athlete and he's smooth and it's, it's, it's incredible that he can be a great shortstop too, but it's not the same thing. He's not, he's not explosive in nearly the same way. And this brings me to something that I just can't get over about Fernando Tatis Jr. And I think a lot of baseball fans now, by now, know the story, which is basically that he signed with the White Sox and they traded him to the Padres for James Shields before he had basically ever played a, a, a professional game um, in, in the White Sox organization. He was just very young. He had just signed uh, in the Dominican. But the thing that's so hard to fathom, of course, guys have been traded at a young stage of their career and then they go on to become amazing. That happens all the time. That, so that part of the story is not amazing. But like when you watch Tatis, it is impossible to fathom him not just looking like the most amazing player you've ever seen the whole time. Like, I don't know when did, did what the did Padres- mediocre Fernando Tatis Jr. look like or like underwhelming enough to trade him for James Shields? Exactly. And I know he was he was 16 or maybe 17 when he was traded, but but it's just so hard to imagine that he was obviously they saw talent in him, that he had this level of star power physically just 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 in the physical what it looks like and to trade that and for it to actualize this quickly is so right. just mind blowing and i want to talk about him expressing himself right this is part of the larger conversation of baseball players expressing themselves etc cetera, etc cetera. tatis hit a, an absolute moonshot in a game that made it 4 to 2 from 4 to 0 in baseball history if you hit a home run that doesn't put your team up in the lead, you're not like encouraged to celebrate. He obviously does. And it's not even celebrating, right? It's just like a level of swagger. He wasn't like rollicking around the bases or anything, but it's important to look at that in the context of who the Padres are as a team, right? There is no older player on that team. Who's going to like go out of their way to tell Fernando Tatis Jr. To chill 
And the reason is because that is Fernando Tatis Jr.'s team, even though he's 21, right? Even like Juan Soto on the Nationals, he's amazing, and he he was the best player on the team. That wasn't his team, right? Not it might, in the same it, it way. Might be now. It might be it now. Might be now. <laughs> it might be now. It might be now. But not yeah, in the same way right. where like Tatis Jr. and Machado get to dictate the culture of that baseball team, right? And that's a good thing for baseball. And I think it's going to allow him to express himself and feel comfortable doing so in a way that's great for baseball. And I'm about to say something completely over the line and stupid, and then we'll move on from this conversation. But like, I watched the Ken Griffey Jr. documentary yesterday, right? And it it made me think a lot about why did Griffey become Griffey, right? There was something singular about him and just the way that he moved and the way he smiled and the energy that he brought. I'm not saying Tatis has that exact same thing. There are obviously some differences to it. I would say that Tatis has a level of intensity that you never, you didn't see as often maybe from junior, but like, I don't see that much of a difference in terms of the captivation, like in terms of just wanting to see them do anything. Right. I mean, it's it's a little Am I different. crazy. Yes. You are, you are crazy. This is obviously, you know, I'm not you, saying that they're the same. I want to be very <laughs> no, clear no, about that. No, but no, like, no, it just not. made me think about why they might be different. I want to. Yeah. Unpack and well, I think they are different and not in, in a bad way, but like, Tatis is captivating in a way like Griffey was just the coolest thing you could fathom, right? And Tatis is that too, but he's also unpredictable and and kind of like explosive in ways that like he'll run into outs where it's like, what the fuck are you thinking, right? Like he'll he'll do shit that's also stupid and like unpredictable and 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 kind of manic and like, but that's that's part of that's part of the intrigue also, right? Um, and I think Griffey, like for Griffey it was effortlessness, yes. right? It was he made everything look like it was the easiest thing in the world. Tatis Jr. does not do that at all. Like when he swings, there's effort. When he runs, there's effort, right? And that is a maybe an important difference as to why like Griffey was so cool, right? And I think Tatis Jr. is obviously, he's also very cool, but it is, it is slightly different. I'm just trying to like- No, I hear you. Th- there's no reason why Tatis Jr. cannot be like a household famous human yeah. being. I mean, this, he is, should this be. is like, I was texting with Clinton Yates yesterday about this. Like, I was like, dude, tell all your friends about this guy. Now it shouldn't be our responsibility as like third party baseball fans to like, promote the hell out of this dude. That should be on the Padres and on major league baseball. But like I said, at the beginning, I just want to tell all my friends about Tatis Jr. And that's that. All right, let's move on. Dodgers Padres briefly chat about the series as a whole. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't, it's not even about the specific series. I mean, the game on Wednesday night was tremendous. Um, but I just kind of want to get into this this rivalry. Uh, of course, the Dodgers have won a million divisions in a row, and the Padres have been largely irrelevant for the last decade. Um, even when they've made those splashes with the Will Myers and James, and you know, like even James Shields the first time. Uh, now, obviously, the Dodgers are still probably one of the two best teams in the league, and they're still way better than the Padres. But we are finally now at a point where the Padres are so sick of it. And they they want to, and you saw that last night when when Grisham got thrown out. Like he was so mad, and he he was out. Like it's not like it was it was a bad call, but like they want to beat the Dodgers so freaking badly because they've just been getting their ass kicked by them for so long. And I know this is a, a ridiculous comparison because they're nowhere near as close, but like 
as a Mariners fan, like when the Mariners beat the Astros, it is the greatest feeling in the world because I know that they're so much worse than them. And the Padres are way closer to the Dodgers than the Mariners are to Houston. But you just get this feeling where it's like, I'm so sick of them kicking our butt. And the Padres now have the tools to compete, at least on a night-to-night basis. I do not expect them to necessarily catch them in the standings. Maybe not this year. Maybe not even next year. But they have enough to beat them every night. And that is really, really, really exciting. I agree with you. And the way that this rival rivalry is functioning now reminds me of when the Nats first got good, when the Brewers first got good in their big sibling, little sibling relationship, right? Like Philly for a while was just whooping the Nats. And then the Nats got good enough to compete and it was awesome. The Cubs would whoop the Brewers for like a year and a half there. And then the Brewers got better and to compete, right? But before that, like you would see Cubs fans take over Milwaukee. You would see Phillies fans take over DC. You would see tons of Dodgers fans take over San Diego. And we don't have the ability to see that now because, you know, there aren't fans in the stands. But this rivalry is moving in that direction. And that's going to be great. It's, I cannot wait for next year to have fans there. So. And uh, and the Padres really are going to need to show something because AJ Preller can only hoard the prospects for so long. Dude, they're um, showing something. Like this is enough to me. It's enough. They're showing it, and like I'm in on the dads. Yeah, no, that's 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 fair. I, I hope they they can uh, they can keep going. Uh, all right, we want to talk about two more uh, amazing baseball men. Not exactly uh, anything too off the beaten path, but we figure we should acknowledge the amazing early season performances in two very different ways of Aaron Judge and Mike Trout. So let's talk about Aaron Judge and Mike Trout. Uh, Aaron Judge uh, is leading the majors with seven home runs. We saw him hit 50 homers as a rookie. That was really fucking cool a few years ago. Dealt with a lot of injuries over the last couple of seasons because he's really large. And when you're really large, there is more in your body that can go wrong. And baseball players aren't usually this size. But it appears that Aaron Judge is healthy. And my God, it is a terrifying sight, but also really cool. Aaron Judge, when healthy, is this good? That is a fact, right? There has been some doubt at some points about how what his true talent level may be. But this season is really solidified for me that when he is healthy, He is a world beater. He is that good. He is the real deal. No. And I'm sure there are many Yankees fans who've believed this and have known this as well. But I just think that his performance to this point this season has been such a reminder of that, that he's unlike anything we've ever seen in baseball other than the guy who hits behind him in Giancarlo Stanton, which we should never lose sight of how fucking nuts it is that they are in the same lineup. Um, But I'm happy for Aaron Judge, man. Like, good Aaron Judge. Like a good Aaron Judge homer is great. It is, even as someone who dislikes the Yankees as as a, you know, basic baseball fan, like it is so good to watch. Yeah, it's, it is a, it is a beautiful thing. And like, also like weirdly comparing him with Stan in some ways, they're exactly the same and there couldn't be two more similar players that happen to be in the same team, but like Stan the swing it's not ugly, but it's very much like strength-driven, like I am swinging bat and I am going to hit the ball really, really hard and really far. Whereas like Judge, it's a be- it's a beautiful swing. Like it looks like an, a regular six foot two hitter, like getting his hands in and just squaring a ball up. It's, 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 and so that's what kind of makes his home runs especially enjoyable. All right, Mike Trout. Have you heard uh, of him? Okay, Mike Trout. Let's talk about Mike Trout. Uh, so as you see here on the zoom, I'm wearing a Mariners hat because I am a Mariners fan. And my God, speaking of getting your ass kicked by a single entity on the other side, uh, Mike Trout's reign of terror over the Seattle Mariners over the last decade, particularly in Seattle 
has reached such a comical level that I knew when he returned from the paternity list, congratulations, Mike, on your newborn son, uh, this week to play the Seattle Mariners, that it would not take long for him to do the thing where he hits the ball over the fence. And he did just that. He's already hit three uh, in these few games. And again, you referred to it as the inevitability of Mike Trout. Um, And I don't mean to sound exhausted, even though I am by it, because I love him and he is delightful. Uh, but, but, but that, that really is the word, right? It is inevitability. Yeah. It's going to happen, especially against Seattle. My favorite part of it is the Seattle broadcasters and how they treat Mike Trout home runs because they have seen it so many times that there's no surprise. There's really no shock. Usually it's like, oh, Mike Trout homered for the 26th time in T-Mobile park history. And then last night though, when he hit the 27th home run of his career in T-Mobile Park history in the upper deck. All Dave Sims, Mariners broadcaster, could say was, wow. And very rarely do we get moments where broadcasters are legitimately wowed to the point that they say wow. He That's all he could say was wow. And that's all I really have to say about Mike Trout is wow. The man is an algorithm at this point. He is like a computer program that just spits out home runs. Um. Though, I will say, seeing him in the dugout with, like, your classic ruffled new dad beard, like, he clearly hasn't had time to shave. He looks exhausted. Like, he looks like a new dad, except he's also crushing the Mariners. Yeah, it's it's so inevitable. And, and fortunately, the Mariners, you know, eked out a win uh, last night. And, and it, it has largely been, you know, an individual effort on that part. Um, but it's so true. And and I guess the last point I'll make on this uh, before we, we we go and talk to Shane Bieber uh, is that like uh, he crushes him so much, but Mike Trout is so unhateable that like it would take so little for me to hate this person so much as, as in terms of baseball players. Like I should despise Mike Trout. Like I am so sick of him, but like I don't. I, I He's... It helps that he is so definitively the best and maybe the best player of all time. So it's like, it's easy to just throw your hands up. But like, I can't, I, I, I'm I also laughing. I am also saying, wow. Um, and I hope that someday the Mariners can find some pitchers to get him out. It's like the crying into laughing or sorry, the you know, the laughing into crying like that. <laughs> right. But you're exactly. transitioning back into a laugh at the end for Mike Trout. Right. I mean, you it is literally, end in the laugh. it is like watching him. It is. I am cringing, like I am, I am wincing, like basically every time a pitch is thrown, like that. Like, that's uh, where I'm at. And uh, I think honestly, honestly, when he comes up, like that's how Dave Sims and Rick Riz and Goldsmith, like they'll just be like, "Okay, here he comes." <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, so it's it's it, it is truly a, a one of a kind uh, player versus team uh, situation in baseball. So there you go. Well, Jordan, I'm excited to watch Mike Trout Homer three more times uh, tonight. Okay, uh, last thing to talk about is the just the general where we're at with the MLB season in regards in relation to the coronavirus. Uh, the Miami Marlins are back on the field. They are playing baseball games with a significantly depleted roster filled with fill-ins, dudes you haven't thought about in years, Logan Forsythe. Uh, and just a ragtag group of dreamers. And they took the first three games back after their Rona layoff against Baltimore. They're playing and they're winning, which is wild. And then the other major news uh, is the what's going on with the St. Louis Cardinals. 
Yeah. So the Cardinals, uh, when we last spoke on Monday, uh, we knew that there were going to be more positive tests coming out from them. Uh, but now we know uh, the six or I guess seven players that are going on the uh, COVID IL. Um, it sounds like they will include Yadier Molina and Paul DeYoung, as well as Carlos Martinez. So um, that is uh, a not good for the Cardinals. Now, fortunately, it seems like they're going to continue playing on Friday, so they're not going to have like a week and a half off like some of these other teams. They did miss the series in Detroit, um, but that will certainly affect uh, the Cardinals since they're losing their you know Hall of Fame potential catcher uh, as well as Paul DeYoung. And like, I don't want, I don't want the Cardinals thing to like numb us. I don't want to become numb to the fact that this is ha- that this happened again. I don't really have anything to say about what's happening with the Cardinals that I that we didn't say about Miami, right? Where it's crazy we're playing a season. The protocols weren't, you know, implemented or, you know, upheld enough by the teams and by the league. The players, when they're not at the field, also have responsibility. And that's it. Like, I, I again, I don't want to let this feel normal because it's not normal. And I get it. It is my job to say interesting and insightful things about things that happen in baseball, but I just really don't have anything new to say about this that we didn't say about the Marlins. Yeah, that's fair. And let's just hope that this is the last one in terms of a team getting multi. Because now, again, you know, the, the, it seems like MLB has beefed up the protocols a little bit. M- MLB is like, now we're taking now the we're p- taking it seriously. Pandemic right. seriously. Players are also not happy with the Cardinals and Marlins, so you know they're going to continue to at least uh, you know self police and whatnot. So it is possible that uh, on Friday, this this Friday, we will have all thirty teams actually playing, which we have not had for the last uh, couple weeks. So that would be a significant step in the right direction in terms of getting this bizarre season back on the rails. Uh, but again, still very tenuous, still very unsettling. So we just wanted to make sure we mentioned that. All right, All Jordan. Right. Let's, we did let's it. transition. We, Jordan, we, name, we the, yeah. name three Justin Bieber songs. Go. Okay. We've got Baby. Okay. We've got, <laughs> yeah. that was the first, that was the first one. Yeah. We've got, um, um, oh man. You got You're one. Pre- you're putting me on the spot here. What was I, the, that's what I did that. Some of these, some of these ones on the radio have been on. they've gotten worse. They've gotten worse. You got one. There you uh, named Baby. Good. Yeah. I'm not even kidding. This isn't even a bit. I'm I'm like completely blanking. I can hear them in my head, but I'm not sure I can. Then come give me up a little hums. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> give me a little give me a, let's let's get a little peek into the musical brain of Jordan Schusterman. Oh you, no, that's that's Nick Jonas. Never mind. That's not Justin Bieber. <laughs> Sing them. I don't know. Sing them. I got I got nothing. Can you name two more? Yeah. I'd never say never. Where is, are you is, now? Uh, why are you asking me about Shane Bieber? Or, I just spoiled it. Why are you asking me about Justin Bieber? Shane Bieber, everybody! <laughs> Calling Shane Bieber. Fire. Microphone. Welcome back to Baseball Barbecue. We are joined by a very special guest, a uh, a pitcher. I would say, Jordan, one of the best pitchers in the world, Shane Bieber, Cleveland baseball thrower. Hello, sir. How are you? Hey, guys. I'm good. Thanks for having me. Good to see you guys. Is it fun 
Yeah. Is it fun being one of the best pitchers in the world? Like, are you having more fun now than you were like two years ago? Or is it just it's always, yeah, it's always fun when it's going well. Um, with that being said, everybody knows baseball. Everybody knows how this game goes. So the moment you get caught up in, you know, some success, it'll serve you a big old slice of humble pie. So I'm just trying to keep this train rolling as best as possible and, um, you know, have fun while, while doing it. You, you allowed your first earned run. So I, you know, I was excited to come on here and, and totally jinx your zero ERA for the season, but we don't have to worry about that. You got that out of the way. Uh, so that's good. Yeah. Uh, Gladly. So, yeah. And I, I allowed all of that first earn run. I don't know if you guys saw it, but that thing oh, went. Oh, I, I saw it. Well, fortunately, oh, yeah. Nick Castellanos sure was pretty good. So it, it, there, yeah, are worse people, there are worse people to be allowing home runs to. Uh, so Shane, um, you know, we're, you know we're, we're joking around, but a lot of people have been noticing you've been having one heck of a start to your 2020 season. But it's not like you were bad last year. I mean, you won the freaking All-Star Game MVP and you had a great season. You got some Cy Young votes. So I guess my first question is, do you feel really any different than you did uh, in 2019? Like, there's so much talk about, oh, how do you get better during quarantine? Like, what do you feel like you've improved on or do you feel pretty much just as good as you did last year? Uh, I feel good. I feel like I'm picking up right where I left off. I felt really good at the end of the year last year, especially the second half um, and, and the, kind of the, towards the end of the first half. Uh, but yeah, I, I guess if anything, I, I added a cutter. Um, that's been nice. It's kind of, uh, I wouldn't say a get out of jail free card because it's been hit hard a couple of times, but you know, it's nice to be able to get guys off my fastball. And uh, that kind of adds another element, uh, having three breaking pitches that are different, all different from each other. So um, I feel like a little, uh, maybe I'm a little bit more unpredictable right now, but more than anything, I'm kind of just executing pitches, being able to bury my curveball late in counts, um, has been big for me to start off the year. So, uh, that, that's, that's it more than anything. So, you know, I thinking a lot about you compared to Garrett Cole and just the different paths of development that players pitchers take to, you know, be successful at the major league level. Garrett Cole has, you know, for his entire life been like the dude really. <laughs> Right. And right. for you, kind of a slightly later round pick, obviously you were dominant in college. You weren't always at the top of every prospect list, right? When right. when you're a guy like that, is your mindset in the minors, I'm going to reach the big leagues, or is it I am going to become successful in the big leagues? Um, to be honest, I I've always had a little bit of a chip on my shoulder. I've always kind of been uh undervalued. So I was used to that. That's kind of my whole story. Um, you know, walked on at Santa Barbara, all that, and ended up proving some people wrong there. So I've always had a, maybe not a knack, but uh, a liking for trying to prove people wrong. And um, my whole thing when I got drafted was, yeah, like great numbers, good pitcher, knows how to pitch, but uh, can't put guys away. Can't, um, you know, he's he's gonna have a real low floor and a low ceiling, or. Yeah, sorry. I might have gotten that wrong. A higher high floor, floor, but a low ceiling. ceiling. Right. Uh, they're like, yeah, fifth starter at best. Um, and I was like, hey, at that point when I got drafted with no money to my name, I was like, I'll take fifth starter for sure. <laughs> Just get right. me in there and let me stick. <laughs> so yeah, I guess to answer your question, I was like, yeah, let's get to the big leagues and then go from there. Um, and fortunately, was able happen? to... Like when in your brain did it go from, okay, I'm, I'm going to be a big leaguer to I'm going to kick people's ass in the big leagues? Probably after 2018, um, I had a couple of good performances as, and then also a couple very rookie performances, uh, got my, got my ass handed to me a couple of times, but definitely some learning experiences. And 
I, I was able to see towards the end of the year, like, Hey, my stuff's going to play here. Um, I feel like I can make a couple adjustments. A lot of my mistakes were mistakes in the zone and in my mind, kind of easily fixable. They were just rookie mistakes, um, making some bad pitches in the zone to some really good hitters. So uh, being able to be cognizant of that and, and the adjustments that I was supposed to make going from 2018 to 19 uh, was a big help. But I'd say, yeah, after the 2018 season, season was when I was like, all right, hey, you know, I can definitely prove some people wrong up here and stick here for longer. And then last year, I mean, excellent season. Of course, you, you, know, you win the All-Star Game MVP. And I do want to, we were talking about this a little bit before we started recording, but I do want to stick on this here. You're, first of all, in your first all-star game in your hometown, Cleveland, you know, you know, where, where you know, really cool opportunity. You have your one yeah. inning, you, you K the side. When did you realize you were going to win all-star game MVP? Cause it doesn't usually <laughs> happen for pitchers. Yeah. I was like, no way. Um, I, I was, uh, you know, amazingly grateful for that inning. I was like, that went a lot better than expected. I don't know if I told you guys this, but I was like, I just get me off the mound. I was enjoying every second of it, but I was like, just give me a clean inning, hit three balls, three rockets right at people. I don't care. Like, I just want Bro, this getting, experience getting to be clean. Pulled, you know what I mean? Getting pulled mid-inning in the, in the all-star game is like... Exactly. Worst nightmare. And uh, so I was like, let's just get in and get out. <laughs> like, I'm going to enjoy it, but let's make it quick. And uh, fortunately, I ended up going that way. And then I, I go up to the locker room, um, checking my phone. My parents are in the stands. My phone's blown up. Um, had a good inning. And uh, I'm reading through some of the messages real quick, getting back to my parents and, and my family and my girlfriend. And, uh, somebody comes up behind me and like grabs me on the shoulder, kind of gives me like a, uh, from the back hug. And it was Mike Trout. He was like, dude, that was awesome. And I was like, Holy, you know, I grew up in Southern California and Mike Trout was one of my favorite players. I was like, okay, like that was pretty cool. And then he's a couple lockers over and I'm still checking my phone for a second. And he goes, so what do you think kid, the car or the truck? And I, I look and I'm like, what are you talking about? Cause he's won one. And, uh, and he goes, all-star MVP car, of the truck, what are you going with? And I was like, uh, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> like, what should I go with? <laughs> I was like, no way. And he goes, I'm just saying, you got to think about it. Like if it stays the way it is right now, you got to think about it. So I, I, that's about the time it was maybe around the sixth inning, seventh inning where I was like, Oh damn. Like <laughs> this is, uh, this is a little more than I expected, but I'll roll with it. I've, Two, first of all, amazing story. That's a great story. Two things. Number one, him calling you kid is hilarious because he's like two and a half years older than you. Like, right, but he's got like 10 years in the right, league. So right, right, right. <laughs> I, I just love that he gets to call people kid. You know what I mean? And yeah, then yeah. the other thing is like, what does a Mike Trout bear hug feel like? Does that feel different? Is there like a next level of strength that you don't get from like an average <laughs> schlub? I, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I have any details on it. Um, cause my, I was pretty numb after that inning anyways, right. but yeah, it was probably pretty forceful. I also like trout being like, uh, you got to pick the car of the truck. Cause not everyone gets to have an opportunity to do both, which he did. He has two, so he, he could yeah. mix it up, right? This may, maybe listen, hopefully you do win another also game MVP. Um, but right. well also, okay. Which did you, which did you pick? So it was two trucks. Um, oh, right. it was two, oh, right. uh, it was two different. different Silverados. Yeah. I ended up getting it. It took a little while because uh, production was a little bit backed up, but I ended up getting it around New Year's. I love, yeah, I love that it. because for years people picked the car because the car is like sick. Which is Why not? Right? Yeah. A, a new so they vet. Took the, 
A new vet? Yeah, come on. So they took the, was, the choice away. Yeah, I was, I was, I was going to take the car. Oh well, it's but okay. I love the truck. I'll say yeah, that. You're, you're, you're no, <laughs> no complaints from Shane Bieber, obviously. No and complaints. then, of course, I have to mention too, just the image of you holding up the the actual trophy, which is a bat. Right. Looked very silly because I was like, "When's the last time Shane Bieber took an AB? Probably been a few years." <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, it's been a little bit. Yeah. Well, it's okay. It, it worked out. But so, so okay. So, right, you had a great year last year. So then, like, you come into this season. I mean, did you have a, a a good situation during the layoff over the last few months? Like, did you have a good? Because I've been hearing stories about uh, guys, you know, who maybe in cold weather states who can't find someone to throw with or can't find like. Did you have a good setup uh, during quarantine in terms of throwing? Yeah, I actually had a great setup. All things considered, um, we so we got banged in Arizona right at the end of spring training. We're getting ready for the season. And I was like, okay, like I obviously wasn't informed about this pandemic and how big it was going to get. And I was like, okay, three weeks, four weeks, maybe tops. Like I'll just we go back all, to Santa Barbara. We were all so naive. <laughs> right. Weren't we uh, looking back? It was terrible, but I was like, okay, no big deal. I'll just go back to Santa Barbara. Stay ready. Like off season 2.0, just a little, little quick portion of it. And, um, so I did rent a, rent a spot back in Santa Barbara where I've been the last like three, four off seasons. Um, Ended up renting a spot with my my buddy, college college roommate and teammate. He's with the Indians right now, actually, in all, at our alternative site, Kyle Nelson. He's a lefty reliever. And we lift, throw, do everything in the off-seasons together. So we were doing that, um, you know, over off-season 2.0. So we had a good setup. We were throwing. Um, we were going in and training at this uh, this gym that was closed down, but uh, they opened it up just for us, our, our trainer back in Santa Barbara. and. Uh, Ended up having to throw bullpens at not Santa Barbara because they closed campus, public campus, um, but Westmont College, which is a private school up there. Uh, we were able to get in at, at their bullpen, sign a couple waivers, um, some liability waivers, and ended up getting our work in that way. And it, it ended up being a lot longer than expected, but we, uh, we made do. This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like, me and my wife, the, the beloved sports gal, you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear, especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA. I make calls. I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it. You can work out in it. You can go outside. You can go shopping down in your local wherever. And you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viori.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I dot com slash Simmons. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 
miles on, I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. So one of the bigger stories so far this season has just been the continued ability of your organization to just make very impressive starting pitchers. Now, having been one of those guys who, you know, benefited from that developmental structure, how the hell is it so different? Because every team thinks that they're doing that, right? Or at least claims publicly that they're doing that and tells their players, we're going to help you. We're going to, but your team, Cleveland has succeeded to such a degree that it is so notable. So like, what actually is different about the process there? Yeah, I'd say um, it starts with the scouting. It's about the guys that you bring in, how uh, willing they are to uh, learn, to get better, to succeed, to adapt, all that, all sorts of things. And, and Savali, Plesak, um, you know, so many, so many other guys. I'm missing. Well, even uh, going back to to Kluber and Clevenger. You know? Oh yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think. It's just a competitiveness. It's a higher standard that us pitchers hold ourselves to, especially, you know, you, you know, the guys that are coming before you and that are going to come after you there. It's a highly competitive organization in terms of arms, especially starting rotation arms. And so <laughs> you got to work, you got to get better. And, um, there's definitely a bunch of ways to do that. The game's changing quite a bit. We're getting a lot more analytical, but, um, I think, uh, one special thing about the Indians is they let guys be them. Um, I, we see that with, uh, myself, Clev, Kluber, Cookie, uh, Police Hacks of Ollie, Plutko, everybody. Um, they don't force everything on you. Um, but they kind of give information to you as you're willing to accept it. And I feel like that goes a long way in, in a player's mind. Um, just knowing that they're not forcing you to do anything, but Hey, here's this information. This will really help you take it if you want it, but it's up to you. Ultimately it's your career. And if you want to take advantage of it, go ahead. And I feel like that, that sits well on a lot of guys' minds. Yeah. And like having the guys who come before you as like proof of concept for listening to what they have to say. Right. Cause it's like, you know, Clevenger probably saw Kluber's development and was like, you know, they're obviously very different pitchers, but you know, right. saw Kluber's development and was like, oh, if I listen, this will happen to me, right? And then you mm-hmm. see Clevenger or you see Carrasco and then Savali sees you and then it just kind of right. trickles the way down and it's like a domino effect. Yeah, and it's it's a lot of it has to do with just confidence, confidence in yourself, confidence in your teammates, the organization, all that, just trusting uh, that things are going to work out. And I feel like everybody's really bought in, especially, uh, you know, our arms and that, that'll take you a long way. Yeah. And you don't have to respond to this, but like Jordan, as a Baltimore Orioles fan, a team who has just shown a shocking inability over the last like decade and a half to develop any significant to, to develop, starting pitchers. To develop one. And those are the first rounders, right? right? Not even the, right, you know, right. the, the, <laughs> the Zach Plesax of the world. So yes. Um, and, and by the way, you mentioned, you know, letting they let you be yourself. James Karinczak, he is very much being himself 
That's well, my boy. I, I just have to. He has also uh, kind of taken the the league by storm, and you know, people who like prospects or follow the minors were very aware of his uh, strikeout abilities last year. But like, mm-hmm. he is he is different. Well, tell just any James Karinchak thoughts are appreciated because we all want to hear them. Oh man, everybody loves him. He's he's a different cat sometimes. Especially, well, mostly when he's on the mound, he's awesome in the clubhouse, awesome in the dugout, everywhere. When he's on the mound, he takes on this sort of alter ego. And I, oh man, we were talking last night. He came in in the eighth, um, and he's got back end stuff. Obviously, he's got electric stuff. But he's coming out wearing ninety nine, walking out to Wild Thing, and there's no fans in the stands. And it is just, it's so. It is just a shame, but you know it is what it is. There's different times right now. If there, if the, if Progressive Field was filled with, you know, sold out, and he comes in in the eighth inning in the jam, walking out to Wild Thing, throwing 96, 97 with a absolute banger, um, people would go nuts. So uh, it's kind of a travesty, but we'll get there next year. He's he's a special guy, and, uh, and he's he's definitely getting better as he goes, which is impressive. For the people that have never watched him pitch, please do it. It like the best comparison is like Freddie Mercury or like a rock star <laughs> from like just the way that he is like he like jitters and moves. He's like almost like a oh, yeah. transcendentalist, like jazz singer or like poet. It is unlike any pitcher I've ever seen. It's it's the best. Everybody gets fired up when he's coming in. That's for sure. Also, the the self-talk. I don't know if I've seen a guy, especially that young, like screaming at himself as much as James Karinczak. So Yeah, especially uh, after you're striking out the side. Yes, yes. Which <laughs> you would think it. that's when he would be happier. Um, also, something right. very, yeah. very unapplicable to other like lines of work. Like, <laughs> like if you're like an accountant and like you nail you nail something, like you're not gonna just like yell at yourself at your desk. So I I do love that. All right, go ahead. Sorry, Jordan. Um, okay, well, uh, Shay Bieber, you got to get back to being Shay Bieber, so we're not going to keep it for much longer. But I guess uh, the last question for you is, um, this is a bizarre season. We hope that everyone can continue to stay healthy. Uh, just how are you feeling about the rest of the team? I know we've been focusing on the pitchers, but you guys also have Francisco Lindor, so that's pretty fun. Uh, but how are you feeling about the, the 2020 Cleveland Indians? Really good. Um, I know we've kind of gotten off to not the start that we wanted to, um, but we're still competing. We're still getting getting, uh, you know, some good games in. We we're facing a really good Reds team right now, and hopefully we'll take today and win that Ohio cup and, and hoist that over Trevor Bauer, uh, for as long as possible until next year. But, um, you know, things are definitely starting to pick up. I, I think guys at bats are starting to get comfortable, uh, pitchers uh, league wide have had the advantage, um, over the, over the first few weeks, I'd say, um, and, and it's been showing, but, uh, I, I feel really confident with where we're going and where we're headed. I feel like <clears throat> not just my confidence, but the team's confidence is continuing to grow. So as long as we continue to put up good at bats and, and, uh, you know, start working all facets of the game, I think we'll be in a good spot. But, um, I know it's definitely a lineup that I don't like to pitch to. I didn't like that during summer camp. And, uh, uh, I know a lot of guys don't like to do that as well. So I'm excited to see us get rolling. Uh, you've, heard a thousand justin bieber questions over the course of your life i'm yeah. sure Couple. justin bieber is the most famous bieber in the world i would probably say Haley bieber his now wife is number two you are yeah. firmly slotted in at number three now Did i would I say in there? i think you're easily at number three i think getting I to two fourth so that's my it. question that's my <laughs> question to you 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 scoop me who's the fourth most famous bieber like who's uh, coming up on your heels, right? 
Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't like looking over my shoulder, so I'm going to keep gunning <laughs> for that one and two spot. If you, okay, that's a great goal is to, I, I think passing Justin is like, you know, good luck to you. It's impossible. <laughs> Haley Bieber, Haley Bieber is within reach. Like, yeah, I think like, so too. I don't know. She, I don't know. I'm pretty sure she had quite the following before they even met each other. So yeah, that's, that's, that's a probably point. a fair point. I, this is how I think about, this is how I think about Jake's like, you know, like I'm gunning for Jake Gyllenhaal. Right. And like, I see Jake Cronenworth coming up behind in your me. sights. He's in your sights. In my sights. Right. Yeah. All right. Well, Shane Bieber, uh, the third most famous Bieber, an absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast. Uh, keep doing your thing. Been very fun to watch and uh, tell James Karen to never change. All right, we'll do. Appreciate it, guys. See you, man. All right, thank you to the third most famous Bieber. Shane Bieber was delightful. Now we send you to Orioles broadcaster extraordinaire, Melanie Newman. Calling Melanie Newman, medium black circle, bird head, large orange diamond, studio microphone. We are now very excited to welcome in broadcaster for Jake Mintz's beloved Baltimore Orioles, Melanie Newman. Melanie, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, guys. I have to say, the Orioles are not just mine, Jordan. They are everybody's. The <laughs> Orioles are for the, all people. That's true. That's true. They are, they are, they are beyond uh, just your fandom. Uh, but Melanie, we had to have you on this week. We've been fortunate enough uh, to know you for the last few years. But uh, it seems that you are literally making headlines. People say that in like in like general terms. Like you, you, there are headlines with your name in it because this week you did become the first woman in Orioles history and only the fourth uh, current active, which is crazy, uh, female broadcaster <laughs> in Major League Baseball. So first of all, congratulations. Uh, what is it like to have your name in headlines everywhere? Um, growing up as an extreme introvert, it's very weird. <laughs> I was very comfortable being like the invisible kid for most of my life. And, you know, now I have people from all over the place who are, who are popping up and saying hello and talking about it. Um, and it's, it's very, very odd. I feel very lucky. Don't get me wrong, but it's, it's still a very weird situation. And it's funny. I've heard it from, um, my sister and my significant other as well. They're like, I don't like when people who don't know you, but know me just randomly talk about you and don't realize the connection. I'm like, I'm sorry. <laughs> it happened. <laughs> who is the, who's the weirdest? I mean, you don't have to call them out by name, but like, are you hearing from like elementary school friends? Like how, how far back is it going? Oh gosh. Um, I've had, you know, random coworkers from my multiple bartending shifts who, who, you know, like we never really had anything in common other than like a couple hours working together. Um, honestly, my favorite though, like my, my absolute favorite, apart from the little kids who have reached out are my minor league guys who I've come up with because they were on the bus with me, you know, like they actually get it. Some people are like, Oh, I totally get it. I'm like, no, 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 no. We were the ones on the side of the road next to each other when the bus broke down at 3am. Like they right. get it. Um, it's been all over the place. And I would say another, I guess, weird classification too, but Billie Jean King for the second time, um, with her <laughs> acknowledging it, like blew my mind. I, I would have never even guessed that I would exist on her radar. Um, so that, that was a really cool one. That's amazing. I, I want to ask you about the minor leagues for a little bit. Like you, yeah. you talk about that experience and, you know, obviously shaping you and allowing you to be where you are today. Just like, can you give us an overview of your just 
like the logistics of your journey from like Melanie Newman, you know, high school student to Melanie Newman, professional <laughs> broadcaster? Uh, leaps and bounds from yeah. those two people. I thought in high school I would be maybe a print journalist or a photojournalist. I knew I loved sports. That's always been ingrained in our family. And I always had um, participation in it, just not physically. I'm not an athlete in any regard whatsoever. Um, and then it really wasn't until I went away to college at Troy University and had an advisor who said, hey, look, I think we want to switch you over to broadcasting because they are two separate majors at that school, which is awesome. Um, and I trusted them. You know, I knew that they knew more than I did. So I said, okay, and tried it. And then I had another mentor who said, I want to put you on sidelines for this series. So I tried it. Um, Justin Baker, who was the voice of the Mobile Bay Bears, rest in peace at the time, uh, he had brought me on to be in the booth. And, and, you know, I knew that he knew what he was doing. So I tried it. Um, and it was just that series of, of having faith and not really knowing what was in front of me, but knowing that other people had my best interest and, and being very lucky in that regard, that those doors just kept opening one after another. You know, I found my own voice. I think it's important, honestly, to be able to get away from where you grew up because you kind of get boxed and labeled into this little tiny pocket. And it's not until you get to be on your own and really figure out who you are and you can actually find your voice. Um, the minors, though, it's weird because this weird is the keyword for the season, but this season, especially, I've had so much nostalgia at just random moments for minor league baseball. And there were plenty of times where, you know, I was cursing everything and everyone, not sleeping, um, you know, dealing with stuff that you know that a lot of other people never even think about dealing with in their jobs. But at the same time, it's such an intimate environment for any sport. Um, you really see what goes on behind the scenes. You see the blood, sweat, and tears. You see what these small towns and how they latch on and, and that it is more than just a sport to them. So it's near and dear to my heart. Um, and I've even caught myself a couple of times. You're like, you know, I wish I could go back. And then my brain's like, no, you don't really wish you could go back. Like you just miss a couple moments. Like you wish you could have a day. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I'm curious, uh, you, you, you mentioned like, you made that switch during college to, from maybe from print to maybe like, you know, in front of the camera or in front of the microphone. At yeah. what point did you first think, I want to broadcast a major league baseball game someday? Like, was that a thought when you were before that or, or it doesn't sound like it? it? It really, I always feel like I'm not anomaly as a broadcaster where everybody else is like, I grew up listening to these people and I knew I wanted to do this. I grew up thinking I'd be a vet until I had to dissect a shark. And then I was like, yeah, that's not going to happen. <laughs> Um, so then I thought I'd follow my mom's footsteps and be a teacher. And then she said, well, no, you know, you don't make enough. You, you sacrifice 30 years to do this job. And so I went up to her and I picked a less stable job that paid less. It's fine. Um, but it really wasn't until the last couple of years, it, being in Frisco in 2018, being in Salem last year that I absolutely knew and latched on and said, that's where I want to be. That is 100% where I want to be. Even my two years in Mobile, I just knew I wanted to be in the game. And I think having that open mindset, though, to just saying whatever type of involvement it is, I'm, I'm going to take it, that helped. That helped keep doors open for me instead of being like, no, this is exactly what I want to do and what you're offering me isn't it. And that's so huge in our industry is being flexible, not only with where you want to end up, but the path to get you to where you want to end up. And for so long, everybody told me, 
well, what's your plan? And it would frustrate them because I was like, I just want to be involved on a day-to-day basis with major league team. I I don't care how that is, whatever options open up, that's what I'm going to take. And they said, well, you have to choose, you know, you can't do sidelines and play by play. And then Baltimore was like, hold my coffee. Um, Yes, she can. We're going to have her do both. (laughs) I want to ask you about, about the difference between those two. Because I think very often that is a super gendered distinction that happens, right? If you look at who's doing the sideline reporting for baseball and for really all sports and who's in the booth, huge, huge gender gap. Yeah. (laughs) Like it, it really shockingly and problematically enormous. What has allowed you to kind of break that mold and what needs to happen in order for that mold to continue to be broken? Well, I think first of all, the foundation that I laid had eventually set up for that. You know, I started off with sideline opportunities because like you said, those are just pretty much more available to having females in the first place. But I had mentors and people who worked above me who were in the position to put me in that position. Um, And then once play-by-play became an opportunity as well, and I started being able to string together all of these different independent contracts that worked out where I could have play-by-play. And then in the off-season, once baseball was over, football sidelines was that natural avenue for me to go down. Um, You know, it got weird a little bit, got to open up to a bunch of Olympic sports, did cornhole, did axe-throwing sidelines too. So that's all in a day. Um, But having, having both of those and putting them together was really big. And I think that's also what helped with the preparation because everybody wants to have their own voice in the booth. Like, you know, Vince Scully already exists. There's, there's no point in trying to be him. There's no point in trying to be an Eric Nadell. Um, and, and the same with my partner, Jeff Arnold, you know, he has his own style and, and there's no sense. So you have to have your own identity. And that's where I found mine was I kind of felt like a fish out of water at first in the booth. You know, what, what am I supposed to bring to the table here other than calling balls and strikes? And I realized I can still take the stories that I would have naturally found for the sideline role and weave them into a game. Even if it's just the little details, like we cracked up last night watching Steven Tarpley come in and I looked at Jeff and I said, well, you know, he went to Scottsdale community college. He's like, okay, that's great. And I was like, they're the fighting artichokes and it just caught him, but it's just those (laughs) little, you know, the the nuggets that you hold onto that don't even have to be a full story. Um, And they have their place in the booth. So you take the repetition and actually analyzing your play-by-play work. You know, how was my pitch? How was the speed? How was my accuracy in calling the plays? I don't want to get too on top of myself. And then add on to that the sideline preparation. So day in and day out, my preparation is able to still stay the same. It's just obviously different when I'm only sidelines for a series that I get to drop off a little bit of that work. Um, and even then, I'm still trying to get feedback from mentors on the play-by-play side. So I'm I'm curious. You mentioned uh, how you know you find your style, and realistically, though, like you haven't been doing this that many years, right? So it's it's all happened very quickly. I, I know everything is weird in this major league season, but what is different about broadcasting a major league game versus broadcasting a minor league game from what you can tell thus far, or is it way more similar than you think? So it's funny because I would always ask the minor league kids who got the call up, you know, like, what did it feel like? And they're like, well, the the field is the same at the end of the day. And I'm like, okay, like it can't, it can't literally be the same, but I can say now I get what they mean by that because it is, you're still looking at a diamond, you know, it's still the same guys on the field. There's not like an extra position or anything. Um, The one big difference is the help and the resources that we have at the major league level. You know, I don't have to write my own game notes anymore, which is just, 
like mind blowing to me. Um, if there's an obscure stat or if there's something I want to know, there's multiple people that I have the ability to reach out to and they're going to be able to research that for me and bring that to me. And it's, it's really unbelievable just to have all of that at your fingertips. Obviously, too, even on the statistics end with Major League Baseball, a lot of that stuff is a lot easier to find than you know, what a guy did in Kannapolis or, or Kane County <laughs> as opposed to in Seattle last week. So it's just, there's a lot more availability to further your research and what you want to bring to the table when you have literally an entire team behind you instead of having to be your own team in nine different positions. Right. And you, and you also like have someone else in the booth with you at all times. Yeah. Yeah. I'm actually not talking to myself. Right. Exactly. Right. Uh, so my, my last question, I mean, again, we could ask you a million questions, but I know you have a million other interviews justifiably. So, um, is like the Baltimore Orioles and this season, I know that they just had a rough couple days, uh, against the Marlins, but like, I mean, has what has been fun about watching the, the 2020 Baltimore Orioles in this bizarre season? The cool thing, first of all, is that some of these kids are either fr- pretty fresh up into the major league system or they're people that other teams had chosen to discard. So seeing the way that Elias and Sig and Hyde all kind of come together and were able to perfectly piece that, I mean, a 3-0 sweep against the Rays, like I'll, I'll take that all day, especially given that that wasn't something that was expected. Um, and I think that does make the wins a little more enjoyable is when they aren't expected. It is weird with the Marlins coming in because we thought that would be the team we faced last week. And and even though we're playing them this week, we're still not playing the Marlins. Like that was version one. This is version two. You know, 65% of the guys are different. Um, so coming in and seeing that was just a, a crazy situation in itself. But honestly, and you guys have even said it too, having been in the minors, you see a lot of stuff happen that you don't expect to happen. And I think having those six years in the minors just taught me to roll with it. So like I was perfectly primed for 2020's weirdness because I've had so much other weirdness in the past. The difference is I don't have to handle it alone this time. Um, So, you know, we were looking at Hurricane Isaias on Tuesday. And then that ended up not being a factor at all. What ended up being a factor was inconclusive COVID tests for the Marlins. We were like, why not? You know, what what else could possibly happen in these two weeks of baseball? Um, I, I love the weird, honestly. It keeps it fresh. There is always going to be something to talk about in 2020. So in the minor leagues, obviously it matters who wins the games. To the people playing, to the people in the organization, like everyone wants to win. But they matter less than they do at the big leagues just because like, you know, winning the Carolina League is something that, like, I don't know who won the Carolina League last year, right? When the games <laughs> yeah. matter at the big league level, do you find yourself calling that game any differently than you might at the minor league level just because the games, the W's and the L's do have more of an impact? It's interesting because my background is still on humanizing these athletes. And that's something that I've honed, particularly with a a bigger scope over the last two years. So I still want to bring that same approach into it. And I think it's fortunate that us being in a rebuilding period right now, it calls for that a little more. Because I think in our situation, if you're stressing wins and losses, 2020 is not going to be that fun. Um, Now you look ahead though, and you get to see the guys that are coming up, you know, you've got DL Hall, Grayson Rodriguez, and then Adley Rutschman is already like the mayor of Baltimore at this point. But, 
Um, it, so you, you want to be able to give fans hope because at the end of the day, you do have to be a realist, but you have to balance that with being a cultivator of hope for giving fans a reason to tune in. So, you know, everybody attached themselves. Rio Ruiz is rocking a mohawk this year, which has oddly enough sparked a debate that it's a mullet, but I'm like, no, it's from Rio's mouth itself. It's a classy mohawk. That's what we're going with. Classy. You know, finding classy mohawk, his words. Exactly. Um, so finding those little things to bring back to fans is, is huge. But it's like you said, at the end of the day, you still have to emphasize the wins and losses. The fact that the pitching staff, while they've shown up and been there, the run support has suddenly completely dried up against all of these new Miami arms. Yeah. All right. Last question for you. What, what is bringing you baseball joy right now? When you look around the league, maybe when you look at the Orioles, when you look at anything happening, what is making you smile and be happy? The social distanced celebrations are probably like the most refreshing things I've ever seen. When Valeka had his walk off the other day, I don't know why, but the guys all standing apart from each other and almost doing like a raise the roof repeatedly while they're like dancing around on the field. That I, I, it just seems so much more fresh than the normal, like, you know, run around the field and, and dog pile and throw waters on each other. It's, it's funny watching the guys getting creative with celebrating, but not touching each other. And we even talked about it when Cervelli knocked a home run in the game one, whoever it is with the Marlins who traveled, who was doing the siren noise, they have like the best lung capacity out of anybody on the planet because we thought it was an actual siren until you could kind of hear it at the end and it dropped off and you're like, oh, that's a person. Um, <laughs> so seeing, seeing the players generate their own atmosphere has been absolutely fantastic to watch. I totally agree. It, it, creativity is definitely the word, and it's been very fun to watch. Yeah. Uh, Melanie, thank you so much. Uh, I guess the last thing is, where, where can people, like, what's the schedule? When when can we listen to your next game? How often are you going to be on the radio generally over the next I, uh, couple of months? I have to, I'm going to be on. I listened to uh, about eight innings yesterday, and then I had to tap out at like the third <laughs> inning of the second game. I was like, I can't. As an <laughs> Orioles fan, it was, it was tough. <laughs> Wasn't your fault, it Melanie? <laughs> it is. Well, it feels like it's my fault. We were three and zero when I was on sidelines. Then I got on the radio, and we're like, "Oh, we can't score a run." <laughs> like that's great. I even had mentors who were like, "Goal for today: score one run." And I texted him back. It was two a.m. I was like, "We got one. You couldn't have asked for two. Like, come oh, on." The one run actually made me mad because it was like. If you don't score any runs, like I can complain about that easier. But like the one run, <laughs> like it's like I oh, man. ruined the line. Like, really, really, this one. I mean, to, to Hayes' credit, he's at least seemed to find a stride this series. But um, um, I hope so. No, so I'll rotate. Initially for 2020, the quote unquote normal season, I was going to be about 70 games sidelined, 70 games in the booth with radio. Um, now it's about a dozen sidelines with Masson and then 25 to 30 in the booth. And then the rest are going to be pre and post for Masson. So for the rest of this Marlin series, which of course wraps up tonight, I'll be on the radio with Jeff Arnold. And then for the series, when we travel to DC, um, I'll be on the air with him as well, doing play by play. And for the next series that starts on Tuesday against the Phillies down in Philadelphia, I will be doing pre and post from Camden on Masson. So. There you go. All right. Well, Melanie Newman, you're the best. Thank you so much for joining us and uh, keep, keep making headlines because it's very fun to watch. No, thank you guys. I appreciate it. Hey guys, it's Liz Kelly. After the show, be sure to check out another sports podcast on Spotify. Here's a quick trailer. 
In Formula One, the race is on. Late breaking, this wheel to wheel! That's what I live for, dude. Get to the heart of the action with F1 Paddock Pass on Spotify. I'm Will Buxton. Join me and the fastest drivers in the world at every Grand Prix. You dream about being in F1? It's unbelievable. Floor the pedal and it's a great feeling. From previews on Thursdays to qualifying on Saturdays and a race recap on Sundays, we've got F1 Weekends covered. Listen to F1 Paddock Pass for free exclusively on Spotify. All right. Thank you, Shane Bieber and Melanie Newman. Uh, two wonderful conversations on this wonderful podcast. Jake Mintz, it is Thursday, which means it is time for our second edition of The Good, The Bad, and The Ugla. Against Arizona. There it goes. There goes number 30. The first second baseman in Major League history to have four 30 homer seasons, and his name is Dan Ugla. Do you like to remind people what this segment is? Yeah, I mean, I hopefully hopefully you know what good means and you know what bad means. And Ugla is a reference to Dan Ugla, former Marlins, Braves, Giants, and Nationals superstar, who was one of the more bizarre players in baseball history. And to honor Ugla, each week we will have one weird baseball thing. But Jordan, we must begin with the good. Start us off this week. We must begin with the good. And I'm going to go with a bit of a no-brainer here. Uh, we are recording this on Thursday. And yesterday, we were gifted, the baseball world was gifted with the return of one Juan Soto. Oh, my goodness. What a delight to have this gentleman back on the field. Of course, he was at the center of the bizarre beginning of this baseball season when he reportedly tested positive on opening day a few hours before he was supposed to face uh, Garrett Cole and the Yankees. Um, and then there was just kind of this weird controversy about whether he had even tested uh, positive at all and, and whether he thought it was a false positive. And then the D.C. government wasn't allowing him to come back to the team, even though the Nats wanted him to. And um, I mean, again, just symbolic of the bizarre nature of this season. But he returned last night. Uh, and of course, in his first at bat, promptly against the New York Mets, Rick Porcello threw a great changeup, and it absolutely did not matter. He sliced matter. it into, into the left field corner. It looked like he had been watching Major League Pitching every day for the last six months. Um, and that's what Juan Soto does. And I'm just so happy to have him uh, back in our, our life because I missed him for these last 10 days. And to have him be the face of the sport at its peak last October and then to just not have him was very weird. And I'm super excited to watch him every day now. So it's a simple one, but yeah, I, I'm totally so excited agree. to have him back. I was listening to the Mets radio broadcast yesterday and they were talking about him compared to Acuna. And like, I'm not trying to Acuna slander, but they were they were saying how Acuna looked so lost, like he hadn't seen Major League pitching for months, right? Which is fair. But then they were like, Juan Soto hadn't seen live pitching for months plus 10 days. And he looked like he it was a regular August. Incredible. Yeah. Yeah, so I love Juan Soto, uh, and I'm glad he's back. And again, the Nationals are so much more watchable when he is in the yes, lineup. My good, Totally agree. All right, uh, what do you my, got for good? My good is not player-specific or team-specific. My good is the one second after a baseball is hit in the empty stadium 2020 year. Okay? Great pick. This applies in two ways. This applies to the cursing from the pitchers. Great article this morning uh, in the New York Times by James Wagner about players cursing. It's great. We've heard a lot of guys, you know, give up bombs and ah! right, like, and oh, yeah. it's great. But better than that is the sound made by the dugout of the team that homers 
in the one second after a ball is hit. Usually we don't get to hear that, obviously, because there are fans in the stands. This year, we definitely do. My favorite so far is a Dylan Moore home run from a week ago where he hits it, and you immediately hear someone go, Homer! Usually it's just hooting and hollering from the home dugout. That's great and reminds me of like college or high school baseball. And, you know, there are many downsides and stupid things about the season, but one I do like is that. And it's not as good as the roar of the crowd, of the home crowd, but for away teams, it's it's better. Like yeah. I'd rather have the empty stadium away team homer dugout yelling than the fans in the stands home run silence, if that makes right. sense. Right, right. No, that's a great point. Um, and and we talked a little bit about with Melanie, uh, the Marlins have had some some great reactions over the last few days. And yeah, it does. It does kind of have a, a college vibe. And it, it's great because like the players, they can't react. The fans are not there to react for them. So it really does feel like the teams, especially the teams that have like, you know, I know, this is a weird way to say it, but like the teams that are really close and have like a great semblance of chemistry, like they're clearly making a big deal out of everything their team does because they love their teammates and they realize there's no fans to cheer them on. So that has been super fun to watch. And I should have mentioned Juan Soto dancing on the dugout yes. in his game before he returned on Tuesday when Josh Harrison hit a home run uh, right. was was great. So well, I, I love it. Great. great. Well, I, I just love the initial uncontrollable reaction to it, right? Where if I'm what like when Trout hit a home run last night against the Mariners, I was like, oh shit, right? And the reminder that baseball players are the same way where the, oh my God, right? And we get that is so new and so cool. So totally. Okay, Jordan, let's totally get great. bad. Let's get All bad. Right. What's your bad? Let's get bad. Uh, again, going with kind of a no-brainer here, but it really has reached some rough uh, depths. And I'm going to go with the Pittsburgh Pirates who mm. currently sit at, I believe, 1 in 10. They're playing this afternoon uh, against the Minnesota Twins. I think they, they have two wins, I believe. Uh, they... They have two wins. They are two and 10, but they have lost seven in a row, which in an 162 game season would basically be like an 18 game losing streak. Um, the offense right now, every single hitter besides Colin Moran has been below average, if not like worse than below average, except for Mets legend Philip Evans, who's hitting 393 and signed a minor league contract in spring training. So that's extremely bizarre. The pitching has been extremely injured. I mean, our friend and baseball barbecue guest Trevor Williams, he's been solid, but losing Mitch Keller is just killer. Musgrove's been bad. The bullpen is injured and really bad. And it's just, it's a rough watch right now. And yeah. I know you, you we'll, we'll probably talk about this a little bit more next week about who the definitive best and worst teams in baseball are now that we've had a bit of a sample of games. But you really think the Pirates might be at the 30 of 30? I, I think they could be. And as an Orioles fan who has seen the bottom and what it looks like recently, you need to lose games in a number of different ways to be the worst team in baseball, right? You need to both have games where you show up and get blown off, like just blown out and crushed and like you barely even showed up to the park. And then you have to have games where the team leaves it out there and just grinds and there's so much effort and you lose anyway, right? You have to have both of those things and the Pirates have had that this year. So yeah, good pick for bad. It's It's been rough. Moran has five homers, but like the, the other five, three hitters that we expected to be good this year, Bell, Newman, Reynolds, all been terrible. And it's just, it's tough. I, I, I wish the best uh, for our Pirates friends. All right, what do you got for bad? Mine is uh, hitless streaks. So starting the season hitless is a really 
tough bounce. It is harder than a hitless streak in the middle of the year because, you know, Jordan Luplo, who currently sits at 0 for 18, hasn't had a base hit since last September, right? That's all almost a year, right? We're coming up on a yeah, year. That's, and that's, and no, no that's fun tough for to Jordan. swallow. And so, you know, last year, Chris Davis broke the record for both the longest streak to start a season and the longest hitless streak in the history of baseball by a non-pitcher. That was 54 games. And I have watched a lot of DJ Stewart on the Orioles so far. He's 0 for 14. He was sent down and optioned, I believe, this morning or yesterday. However, watching someone go 0 for 14 is a grueling process, but not even close to 0 for 54, what Chris Davis did. And I I know this bad is not specific and is kind of vague, but I just want to say that Chris Davis started the year 0 for 54. And we should never lose sight of how just devastating that is for a human being. And I hope that, you know, Jordan Luplo gets a hit. He would have to, what, he's at 18 right now. He would have to, that's like four times, four more times. Cleveland's outfield has been bad altogether. I mean, (laughs) since they've all been so bad, maybe they don't notice as much that he literally doesn't have a hit. Also hitless, uh, Josh Van Meter, who was born on the same day as Jordan. Damn. Jared Walsh, Jan Gomes, Joe McCarthy. Just going hitless to start the year, it, I feel like you just get in a deeper schneid. But yeah, and well, it's interesting. that That's definitely true to start the year because you're, you're just looking at a you know, triple zero up there on the batting average. Um, but I wonder if it's better or worse with no fans, right? It's like, it's lonelier, but also like when Chris Davis, when he would not get hit last year, it was like painful for everyone also there watching. Uh, whereas now it's just like you're by yourself. So I don't know, maybe that's better or worse. I would um, also argue that the Chris Davis rec- uh, record of 54 is one of the most unbreakable records in baseball I because I think... Don't think someone would, you have to be in a very specific circumstance to get 54 at bats with no hits. And Chris Davis and the size of his contract and the Orioles being bad was very unique. I don't think we'll ever see it again. I think we will both die with Chris Davis as the holder of that record. Okay, Jordan, from the bad to the ugla, hit me with an ugla. We're going back uh, to the Pirates, but we're going to what happened earlier this week in Minnesota. We did not talk about this, but I assume you saw this. There was a delay in the game between the Twins and the Pirates because there was a drone flying over uh, center field at Target Field. And I just think this is certainly the first time this has ever happened where a game was delayed because of a drone. Uh, This is something that would almost definitely never, ever, ever happen if there were fans in the stands because it would just be impossible to get away with. Um, and the other thing is from the little I know about drones and air regulation, uh, laws, this will cost whoever did this an extreme amount of money and probably being arrested (laughs) because, uh, airspace is very not something to be fucked with. And especially over a major league game is crazy. But the last thing and the weirdest. Okay. If you're willing to take that risk, why are you doing it for like a wet Tuesday afternoon (laughs) game against Pittsburgh? At least do like twins white Sox at the end of the season. Or, like, if you're trying to get a dope ballpark shot, like, maybe wait for the team to go on the road. Like, what? how much? It's not wait like you're getting team a to full go on stadium. the road, do it in the morning. Yeah, like, there's just, I just don't understand how this was worth it for whoever was trying to pull this off. Is there a chance that whoever was doing this thought it was a night game and, like, was like, I'll go during the day? And <laughs> that's, a, that's a great theory, except that 
it was up there. For, it's not like it flew in and then was like, oh shit, shouldn't be here, flew out. Like it was just hovering over center field for like five minutes. And there were amazing reports of like the twins relievers were throwing baseball at it, which was impossible because it was like 300 feet in the air. They were not going to hit it. Um, and just, I, I love one of the best baseball things is delays for reasons that you could not possibly foresee, mm-hmm. right? Whether that even is, you know, a fan in the field or, you know, there's some sort of, some sort of, you know, there's something else on the field. Like there's an animal. There's an animal, right? There's no, you can't plan for this. And so just watching the whole game stand still, watching the umpires discuss it with the managers and like Jose Barrios like pointing up and Alex. I love Avila's the idea like, of hey, the umpires oh, yeah, are like, there. umpires like, what is that old thing in the sky? Right, is that a exactly. drone? Right. Take so, that down. Uh, I just, it's just, it, it was so weird. And, and it's a no-brainer, but like I had to mention it. Yeah. So there's my ugly. What do you got? Uh, I have Jake Cronenworth. Uh, Jake Cronenworth is a baseball player on the San Diego Padres who was in the Tommy Pham trade, came up with the Tampa Bay Rays. Now he's on the San Diego Padres. He is interesting for a number of reasons. One of the reasons he's interesting is that he is a two-way player in a kind of a different mold than your Brennan McKay, Shohei Otani type. Um, But that's not why I'm talking about him right now. Jake Cronenworth so far this major league season for uh, San Diego, I believe has only played first base. Jake Cronenworth. I have seen him, right? Maybe he's, I feel like he came in and played short at one point, but maybe not. I have seen him mostly at first. Yes. This year. Yes. He has only played first base. He has played 52 innings at first base for the San Diego Padres. And that is interesting, Jordan, because he's before that he has one career game at first base dating back to college. Okay. So this is a guy who had never he played a little first one time in the minors in 2018. And the, the Padres, who are competing now, who gave millions and millions of dollars to Eric Hosmer to play first base, are like, uh, Cronenworth, want to give it a go? And he's like, all right. And this is, you know, he's played shortstop. He's played second. He's played third. He's clearly athletic. Doesn't look like a first base, but he's like six foot, 178. And... One career inning in the minors, Padres, go play first. Now and I know I know Hosmer's a little injured, but like it is a lot of it is that, right? Him playing instead of Hosmer, or whatever. But it's also right. He's known as the most versatile, exciting player. And he's at first because, well, Fernando Tatis Jr., as we talked about earlier. And he hasn't pitched yet either, right? right. So it's just it's just very bizarre. I I am fascinated and enthralled by the idea of someone being like, Oh, you've never done this before? Okay, try it against the Dodgers. Hey, in the major if, leagues. If anyone can figure it out, it's obviously Jake Cronenworth. Um, that's a great pick. He is bizarre. And I know Michael Bauman, uh, if you're listening, Michael Bauman, I know you're screaming saying, No, I was Jake, I was first. Bauman's first on Jake Cronenworth. That's fine. That's fine. Uh, all right. We are at the end of the podcast, which means it is time for our baseball moment of joy. We want to send you out of this episode with some good vibes. Uh, and this week, uh, I'm going to tell you about Mr. Randy Dobnak. Mm. Randy Dobnak is a name that like, first of all, there just aren't really many people named Randy our age anymore. Uh, Randy Dobnak also doesn't really look like the average major league pitcher. But the cool thing about Randy Dobnak this week was that he got to return to his hometown of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania and pitch against the Pittsburgh Pirates for his Minnesota Twins. Uh, a stadium 
as we saw some amazing pictures tweeted out by uh, Twins PR guy uh, Dustin Morse of Randy Dobnak at Pirates games as a as a youth, and like he just looks like the most normal yes. dweeby kid. And that wasn't even that long ago that he was right. just like there. And the pictures that we've seen of like Garrett Cole at Yankee games, Garrett Cole looks like he will eventually be like a tall, handsome, famous athlete. Whereas Randy Dobnak in those photos looks like just a dude, right? And I love it. I absolutely love it. And he was great. He dominated them. It was, he, you know, six scoreless. He looked great. Um, and just an amazing journey. Of course, everyone knows, yes, he was driving Uber like two years ago, but he was he was undrafted Division II, like, this is just an amazingly bizarre baseball story, uh, and he's great. So uh, congratulations to Randy Dobnak, who got to go back to Pittsburgh and be awesome. Uh, that's going to do it for this week's episode of Baseball Barbecue, or this second of the week episode of Baseball Barbecue. Thank you, Jake Mintz. Thank you, Shane Bieber. Thank you, Melanie Newman. Thank you, Bobby Wagner, our wonderful producer. Any last words? Uh, congratulations to friend of the pod, Sterling Sharp, on his big league debut. Absolutely. Congratulations, Sterling. Uh, hashtag bump day is finally here. Have a good weekend. We will talk to you on Monday. Goodbye. I'm going to go buy that Fernando Tatis jersey now. Hi, how's it going? I wanted to place an order. For what, which item? Um, just wanted to give you a heads up. I have a baseball podcast, and we're trying to like get people to care about Tatis. So I'm like recording us or me buying the jersey, and then we're gonna put it in. I just wanted to let you know so that you don't like. If you're not okay with it, that's fine, and I won't do it. But I just trying to get more people to care about him. Jersey right now, all we have are pretty much authentic jerseys. We're sold out of everything else. You so wait, what kind of Tatis stuff do you have right now? Um, we have the pinstripe authentic, but we only have pretty much fifty-two size, which is like a two X. Okay. Um, and then we have the brown authentic, um, in all sizes, and then we have the brown replica in all sizes. Okay, so you have no white. Tatis jerseys available? We do, but they're only in 2X left in, in replica. Got it. All right, then I'll wait and I'll uh, I'll call back once they're in stock. Thank you, though. You're welcome. Have a good day. You too. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. When I went on my last holiday to Cape Town, it was amazing. My friends were there, the weather was phenomenal, and most importantly, the food was fantastic. But one thing I struggled with was finding the right places to stay. You know, all I want is a great bed, a fantastic shower, and breakfast that doesn't end at 8 a.m. I'm on holiday, I'm still sleeping. I also like ease, and the Hotels.com app easily helps me to find a perfect hotel for every trip. 
Whether you're looking for a family-friendly getaway or a relaxing spa weekend, on the Hotels.com app, you can compare up to five hotels side by side. Now, why would you want to do that? So you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings. And best of all, you don't have to switch back and forth between options. See? Ease. So, start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios Kingdom and the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom and the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. 